Welcome to Bridgewalker's Tea. Grab your tea, pull up a chair, and join us in these conversations around practical spirituality, systemic change, and solopreneurship. I'm Manasi Kakre, a practical spirituality mentor and speaker for Bridgewalkers. I'm Rose Pudzis, a storyteller and a professional talker. A Bridgewalker is an analytical, critical thinker fascinated by spirituality. According to human design, both of us are generators or alchemists with open throat center. What that means is that we love talking. And when we talk from a balanced place, our words, our expression, and our ideas bring learning and healing. We would love for you to join the conversation too. So don't hesitate to submit your comments or questions via the form. And uh, the link is in the description. So if you're having fun and you're enjoying this experience, please take some time to review us and subscribe. That will help us reach more Bridgewalkers. We hope that these candid, unfiltered conversations bring you new perspectives, spark an inspiration, and give you the confidence to shine in your own unique way of being called dharma in Sanskrit. Because it's through your dharma that you are going to contribute to building new social systems and structures rooted in love, equality for all souls, and equity for the marginalized. And that's what being a bridge walker is all about. Are you ready? Let's begin. Hello, Manasi. Hi, Rose. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I want to just say hello to everybody that's joining. But I also, I feel like I'm going to hit the ground running because I have this question that stems from last week's episode. So everybody that like has is joining right now, if you saw last week's episode, Monacy talked about how she was a guest on a podcast called the Money Magic Podcast. So I listened to it. It was fantastic. Um, and you guys were talking about all kinds of things. And but there was a question that popped in my head. And I don't know how exactly it relates to me listening to that podcast, but there was like a theme in this past week about learning. And we just had a workshop too on self-worth. And um, something came to me and I've been thinking about this a lot. So how do you, is it okay if I'm just jumping in like this, by the way, are you? Jump jump into it because people, you got to know today that Rose is going to run the show. I know. I am in such a low energy today. What? I'm in such a low, I cannot even say low. I'm in a wonky energy. So we are recording this in Diwali. This is the new year of Diwali. So the first day after the new moon. And yesterday's new moon in Scorpio is also Lakshmi Pujan in Diwali, meaning we worship uh, goddess Lakshmi. And in the meantime, all these, we are talking about self-worth. I delivered that workshop today. Yes. There is money and prosperity in consideration. And of course, understanding our own abundance, that's what is coming up. And because the new moon was in Scorpio, it was just so deep. But like Scorpio knows how to go deep. So the, it was, this, I'm just in this wonky energy where on one side, I'm celebrating Diwali, which is my favorite festival, favorite Indian festival, I should say, favorite Indian celebration. I absolutely love it. I'm enjoying it, but also part of me is not fully enjoying it because all the spiritual healing issues are coming up, mm. right? So yes, please jump into the question. Give me some ground to run with. Okay. And I, uh, it's making me laugh because like you're talking right now and you're giving such good context to everything. And I just want to clue people in. I feel like my conversation style sometimes is like double Dutch. You got to just jump in. <laughs> the- you got to just jump in. Yes. 
And, the, and I'm the, back. The jump ropes are already going. You got to just jump in. So that's kind of like, I have a conversation that's been going in my head. We're just going to get started. Um, okay. I want to talk about in the, in, in the spirit of self-worth and um, kind of being open to things. So, and you saying right now, you're kind of in this weird place. So one of the things I think about all the time is like how we learn. I learn a lot through comparing and contrasting, like mm-hmm. watching people, right? Um, I've noticed like this, they talk, you hear this a lot in like the coaching world online when you're in, in, in general, like don't compare yourself to other people. What I have found difficult while building my business is not comparing because I also naturally I'm trying to understand something, but there's so much noise. So even if I know I'm not trying to learn from everybody, it's so hard for me to know how to like navigate that. And I also, before I have you answer that question, I kind of want to like move back to when I first started doing hair, because as a hairstylist, when I had, um, graduated school, I went to the salon, you go through an apprenticeship. So you're working under stylists who have been doing things for a long time. And so why I appreciated you saying I've been kind of in a, a weird energy right now is one of the things I think I I miss a little bit too is the fact that you're learning from these people. So you're learning all these great skills, but you get to see them day in and day out. So you're observing when they're frustrated, how they handle it, all these different things, which I also think sometimes is missing. And I think you naturally want to kind of see how things are getting worked out. And that always is an apparent. So what could you say about that with self-worth? Because it's not always self-worth to want to compare and contrast. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And how would you like navigate? How do you say navigating that or seeing navigating that in like this online world? So it's interesting that this question you asked, there are so many things that jumped up. And for people who don't know, Rose is my client and we have now become friends, but Rose is also my client. So past and current clients. So I know your human design chart, right? And in your human design, your profile has number one in it. So that profile is investigator profile. Mm -hmm. So you love investigating and that's where big part of your compare and contrast comes in. It's like, okay, this is one way of doing things. This is another way of doing things. This is another way. And the same, then you compare and you pick what is right for you. The same way you also do your own thing and then you reflect back on it. Like, okay, what worked in this? What didn't work? So this investigative nature um, shows up in our analysis as well as the external research that we do. Like if you have an idea, you do a lot of research before you even jump into the idea. And that's just your natural way of being. So as long as you're comparing and contrasting as a part of your expression, like, oh, I want to learn about this, or I want to observe this, or I want to notice this. It's a balanced expression for you. Right. Okay. But on the other hand, if you compare and contrast and just sit back and don't analyze anything about it and you see something and feel bad about yourself just because you aren't there yet, that's imbalance. Okay. That makes actually a lot of sense because I know the difference. Like even when you're explaining it back to me, it's like, I know. And sometimes I'm like, uh, you know, and I feel bad about myself. Then there's a very clear difference between what I'm like comparing myself in that light than when it is just like being inquisitive. Right. Um, right. But there is so much noise. There is just so many people talking, so many opinions. So I think it's hard sometimes to really understand, even for me to do good research, because some of these ideas I think are new. So like when you're trying to form, like in business, for example, for me personally, um, 
I'm trying to make sense of a lot of these things that are new to me. So yeah. it gets confusing then how to do good research. Right. So, so just following your intuition. Right. It gets confusing and it on both levels, right? So, so both meaning that there is research part of compare and contrast. And then there is that, the other part that I said, like compare and feel bad about yourself, that part, even that part, let's just tackle that part first. Even in that part, we have gotten to the level where there's so much of other people's lives we can see through social media, through Instagram, through videos. And what people present quite often is only the good part mm-hmm. or only the part where they have already overcome the struggle and now they're quote unquote winning, right? So that's the part that is presented. So what we end up doing automatically is as we are going through our own struggles, we don't recognize that we are comparing our unedited, non-filtered we. Uh, reel of film with their final edited feature film, mm-hmm. right? So that yes. unedited version is much longer. It has so many takes that go into it. Like every time you're making a film, there are going to be like tons of takes that are extra that never even make into the final version. But without that raw unedited version, you cannot reach the final reel. Yeah. Right. So, but we compare our journey to others' results. And that's where that compare and contrast creates a lack of self-worth. So that's something we have to understand. Not like we cannot compare ourselves to others' results because we don't know what journey they have been through. They have, they may not have shared that journey. We may not be in their network when they were sharing that journey. Like right. I always share my struggles, but every time I get new people in my network, they don't know what I did three years ago. Right. Right. They don't know where I started. So we cannot compare that. We have to be always cognizant about it. We have to also recognize this, that people do not always share openly, mm-hmm. right? So first thing, as entrepreneurs, you and I, we are the type of people who are openly sharing because that's what we believe in. We believe in creating transparency. Uh, one of my friends, she, Lisa Denon Young, she uses the word, um, not word, but the hashtag normalize the journey. And I absolutely love it because if we normalize the journey that we are going through in order to get to certain outcome or get to certain goalpost, then we will inspire more people and put them at ease to going through the journey. Yeah. Right. So we, you and I, we believe in this openness, this type of transparency, but sometimes, and sometimes we don't, many entrepreneurs I have seen, they don't intentionally share it because they feel bad about themselves because they feel like they don't deserve the gift of journey themselves. So they are not worthy of expressing their struggles or sharing their struggles. Right. right. Sometimes I see that it comes with shame and guilt. So they are dealing with their own healing in the process. So they may not want to share it with others. It's not like it always has to be shared. Like there is a topic that I was thinking about today. And I just told Rose before going on to the workshop or before going on the podcast recording that I'm not ready to share that yet because I haven't understood where I stand on that topic Mm -hmm. still. Right. So it might be that that too. So whichever stage we are in, but overall as a principle, in solopreneurship world, if we not if we go if make we, if we make transparency a value, 
in our business and show up like that, that, okay, I'm just not feeling good enough today. So Rose, you take it, right? Mm -hmm. If we show up like that, I think that would normalize what we actually go through as entrepreneurs. Yeah. And it's not all the rosy journey. Right. And it's never all like just get great results. Like, oh, I've earned, again, I go back to money all the time. <laughs> like I earned six figures in my first six months, right? It's the easy it's one. That. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's one side of it is that that self-worth, we have to keep reminding ourselves that when we compare ourselves, what are we comparing to? Are we comparing to their journey? Do we even need to compare ourselves to anybody? Because everybody has their own journey. Sometimes some people need more healing than others. Sometimes I see that we pick, some people have, because of their systemic marginalization, they may have more wounds that they're dealing with. So they don't have to uh, push themselves to reach to a certain point where somebody who is privileged is already easy to reach for right. them, right? So all of this, we need to give ourselves the the love, the compassion to allow ourselves that non-comparison. And when we do compare, we have to keep our eyes open. What are we comparing it to, right? Yeah. Is this the journey we are comparing or we are comparing it to their final reel? Right. And then in, when it comes to research, then that's, so this is one side, which is like compare, compare, comparisonitis or something. I have heard people saying that, like it's almost a disease type that it makes you feel bad mm -hmm. about where you are. Um, but then the other side is we compare, we look around, we notice things, we observe. And then as like many analytical people, we, we analyze it and we see where do I want to go? What is my mm -hmm. way of being? Or it's like, it could be a research about something. So before starting a podcast, I looked, I, re, I have heard some podcasts that could be considered part of my research. I did some little bit of research as to like, what, how do people start podcasts or what technology they need for that? But through that observation and through comparing, I understood that regular way of doing a podcast isn't right for me, right? So that became part of my research. So that type of comparison, I have understood that we, when we are doing the research, we also need to allow for some, our inner knowing that tells us that, so, okay, so let's separate this. There are two types of like data, right? One data is a fact, mm. right? So that could be like 70% uh, uh, and I don't know, don't quote me on this, but it's it's something like this, like 70% of small businesses, they fail in the first five years, right? So if you are still in business after five years, let's just celebrate that to begin with. Right. Right. So that type of what the one is a fact, like that's the data, that's the statistic. That's like, that's something that tells you that this is working. That's where science comes in. That's where statistic comes in. That's where the data management or data, data insights, like what are those called? Data scientists, their work comes in. That type of data, we need to go to the right resources for that. So we need to check our resources. Like who are we learning this from? So if it is science, are we actually learning it from a scientific journal or are we learning it from some person who, who just is like. Has a strong um, opinion. <laughs> has a strong opinion about it and says like scientifically. Yeah. Or like, are we going to some reporter who is acting like they are a scientist? Right? Right. Or are we going straight to the source of the science? So the source, resource, where are we learning this information from? Then there is other type of information, which is based on opinions, right? So that's mostly like coaches and healers fall in this category where they're like, 
it is my opinion that instagram they wouldn't say it like this but you should be on instagram to generate leads mm-hmm. it is their opinion it's not a fact mm-hmm. right i mean it could be fact for some people because right. it worked for them but it's not it's it, you understand the category of it it's 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 uh, yeah. it's an opinion and then the data could be oh 70% of the businesses that are on instagram uh, increase their revenue by 5% in their first 3 months that type of it could be data and even then we need to check the validity is the research done by instagram or the research done by some other private individually right. operated independent unbiased body of research right so we have to question that too but that could be data whereas instagram works for everybody could be an opinion so when we do that kind of research and even the data that we are picking up on or research that we are picking up on is based on opinion we really need to check in with ourselves does this feel right to me well this is like one of the things i learned when i was listening to um your episode last week i was thinking about this because i'm like oh you know i i instantly was drawn to Instagram because I think as like a hairstylist, that's where I learned. And I don't hate it, but it never occurred to me to stop and think like, like going back to like, what's my, my should, um, uh, shock or telling me like my pure expression, where is, where do I feel best? Like, um, speaking about whatever my truth is. Like it never occurred to me to like actually think about all the different avenues that it could fit. I kind of naturally went because like, I, I feel like I followed that because it was suggested to me and because a lot of people were doing it. So it's like, <clears throat> I did get caught up in that and I didn't even realize it. And again, I don't hate it. I don't think it's like the wrong, wrong choice for me, but it was <laughs> like, I never really gave myself that space to yes. stop and see like, well, what fits me in my way of expressing myself and how do I want to get this out? And um, yeah, and I don't know. So it's, it, it, it took me a minute to like realize, like when you're, you're saying it and it's like so simple because it's like, yeah, that makes sense, right? Like there's, um, there's this certain science-backed, data-driven stuff and then the opinions, but it, I, it, I got so caught up, I think, in the beginning too. So I love this because I think it's just like going back to basics, especially if you're like, for my head, if I'm getting overwhelmed, go back to basics. Okay. Like let's start from square one. Like, what is it that I know for sure? What are my other options? Like, how do I feel about it? And just like bringing it back to these like simple steps. Right. And sometimes honestly, so one is the point that you're bringing up is mindfulness. Mm-hmm. But if you're mindful enough to pause and before we make any decision in business and life, just pause and reflect, is this the right choice for me? Is this aligned with me or am I doing it because everybody is doing it? Right. Right. Or am I doing it because sometimes we act like a rebellion just because everybody else is doing it. I am not going to do it. Right. Right. Like it could come from either way, but is it coming from our aligned energy or is it coming from our imbalanced energy, like rebellion or going with what everybody, what the crowd is doing. So that mindfulness is important and i that's what i teach about because when we are entrepreneurs i have seen so many entrepreneurs who lose focus because they are chasing everything yeah but focus comes from actually just small number of actions 
that are so aligned with you that they become effective for you. So that not only becomes focus, it becomes efficient way of running a business. Mm -hmm. So that focus and efficiency comes from understanding what is my alignment and what is right for me. And that's the only thing I'm going to focus on. So then if there are struggles along the journey, like say, for example, we wanted to start a podcast. It felt so aligned for us. Now, if somebody comes and tells me, oh, Manasi, your voice on the podcast isn't that good. So I am going to do the research and overcome the hurdle of not having like the best mic. And, oh, do I need a best mic? Or can I work with my computer and change some settings? All that research I would do on my own. But if I have to do the same research for, say, TikTok, and I'm not even on TikTok, it doesn't feel aligned with me right now. Imagine that we are doing already something that is unaligned with us. So that's going to drain our energy, whether it's conscious or unconscious, right? It's going to drain our energy. And then on top of that, you're going to see some struggles. There is learning curve and there is journey and there is obstacles that you'll have to overcome. And you're putting all this energy into something that isn't even aligned for you. Right, right. So it's a wastage of resources. Time, money, and energy. And money directly because some people learn business strategies that aren't even right for them because Mm -hmm. they think that it's the business strategy that is the problem without understanding it's the alignment. I just need to figure out the alignment. Nothing is broken with me. I just need to figure out certain alignment and then choose the right business strategy. And even in that case, when I will automatically learn Or then I can choose to pay somebody to learn that particular business strategy. Right. But not going in thinking, oh, I'm not doing, I'm not showing up on videos. That means I need a course on videos. If I'm not showing up the videos, there could be that you need a healing on fear of being seen. Mm -hmm. That's why videos don't feel good to you. So right now, instead of torturing yourself by taking a course on video that shows, asks you to show up in your fear, might as well hire a healer who actually can help you heal the fear of being seen and then help you get on the videos where the video becomes a natural way of expression. Right. Right. So, so that, that type of love that mindfulness is important for us. And we bring more efficiency in business when we actually understand what strategy is aligned with me and what isn't. And in life, what decision is aligned with me, what relationship is aligned with me, Same goes with mentors too, right? I have seen situations where people hire mentors or take online courses because they think that that mentor or that online course will complete me. Like it's like a saviorism, right? Like that will save me. Like something isn't working. So that will save me. There must be something wrong with me. If we hire a mentor from that energy, if we take an online course from that energy, Sometimes it will give us what we want and that will be luck. Like we just get lucky. But I see quite often that that induces more trauma than required. Right. Right? So you actually invest into an unaligned mentor or you invest into an aligned online course and you start thinking, oh my gosh, even this isn't doing anything for me. It must be me. Me, I'm the problem. I'm just not entrepreneurship material. There's something wrong with me. I cannot implement the strategies that they're telling me. Right. So all of this, we really need to question our alignment at every step, including in the programs that we invest in, the mentorship, the type of mentors we invest in, all of that. Yeah, no, it is so important. I think it's funny because like when you're even 
comparing it to like friends or anybody else. I think like, I always felt really lucky because I had such good people in my life, you know? And I think there is just that natural, like, it's not even like done with like, oh, you're not good enough for me. Or like, I can't, you're, it's more like some people, people come in and out because you're just in different phases. Like it's not even a good or bad thing. It's just like you Mm -hmm. flow in and out and you attract the right people. And I always felt like that. So it does make so much sense. And I think I know for me, I think one of the things too, which is why I love that you're talking about this, because not only I feel like I'm learning about it, but it's like, it's lighting something up that's deep inside. Like, yes, you know this, right? These are like things that I feel like are deeply within, but for some reason you put business in front of it. And it was like, all of that went away for me. And you know, I, not anymore. Like I, I, but I, but I, it reminds me of that beginning of the journey. Like when you're saying you're looking, you're looking. Um, but I think that it's, it is so similar to how you feel out other situations when something's right for you, when something's not, you know, when you're feeling desperate for something and you do just want somebody to tell you the answers, you right, know? Right, right. which I've been there too. Like, just tell me what oh. to do. You know, oh, like, I have been I there. I'm so like, uh, okay, tell me, I'll just do this. And then you're just burnt out after that. You're like, this right. isn't working. And, and that's another <laughs> thing I want to mention, right? Like it takes some journey to actually understand what is aligned with us and what isn't. Right. So part of us looking at our, ourselves as worthy, we also need to look at it that I'm worthy of making mistakes. Right. I'm worthy of not getting everything right all the time. And it's through those mistakes I will learn. Yeah. And it's okay to make the mistakes. It's okay to invest in programs that are misaligned just so that I can learn. It's okay to go through that journey. This is yeah. not to say that you knowingly invest into a program that's not aligned with Right. You. But until that point, and anytime something is aligned or something feels good and something doesn't feel good, you ask yourself, why does this not feel good? So then we start dissecting it and see, okay, when this is what happens, it doesn't feel good to me. For example, these days, I cannot tolerate anything, anything that people claim as a channeling and that comes from some kind of privilege or some kind of dogma. And they haven't questioned their own blind spots to understand that this is, this is, is this really channeling my anahat energy, meaning my unwounded energy, or I'm channeling something based on the context of my own wounds. Right. Right. Because just because something is channeled doesn't mean it's like the last word. Right. It's channeling is based on the context of living, lived life of the person who's yes. channeling that wisdom. So yes, that wisdom would be applicable to some people, but it's not applicable to all people. And so I cannot tolerate that these days. Like I just know after making some mistakes, I have understood that that is misaligned for me. It's just, I cannot deal with that. I do not look at it as an unwounded we should the expression meaning especially pure and unwounded expression i don't look at it like that right uh somebody who tells that my way is the only way like this is how you should do business this is how you should do life this is how you should be healing spiritually i'm like the moment you give me anything like a prescription i know for sure it's coming from some kind of wound where you don't feel worthy unless ton of people listen to you yeah Right. So it's kind of some kind of wound that you may not consciously or subconsciously understand, consciously understand or subconsciously sense. That's what I meant. But it's coming from that kind of wound. And what 
then I'm, I know I'm not aligned with it, but that has come to me because I have questioned again and again, what out of this was not aligned with me? Like sometimes it's a pop culture spirituality, right? Mm-hmm. Like what out of this isn't aligned with me? And obviously answers are racism or, a, and we need to talk about systems at some point, but cultural appropriation, cultural disrespect, meaning talking about all things, yoga and chakra and karma and dharma, you, for the podcast listeners, you don't see me, but I'm being very sarcastic here, right? Like what, <laughs> because these are not the right pronunciation of any of this. But using these words all day, every day in your, in your business, but not ever questioning, are these the right pronunciations? And I'm not hell-bent on pronunciations. What, the point here is, respecting the culture that it came from, right? And the respect shows that, okay, what, if I'm using the word yoga every time, why do I just assume that's the right pronunciation of it? And part of it is internalized colonization of Indian people where we also say yoga. And we don't, like in our languages, sometimes we may even say yoga, but when we are speaking in English, we would always say yoga. So, and it came to me, there, there, there is a funny story that goes with it. It's not funny, but interesting. So. Um, I did a yoga in India. I learned it from, uh, some of it from my aunt, some of it from different teachers. And then when I came to the U S I wanted somebody who is not teaching yoga, quote unquote, they're teaching yoga, meaning yoga means unison of body, mind, and spirit. And yoga is like whatever the pop culture version that is created, um, these days that I see in the U S right. It's probably in other European countries as well. So I was, I didn't like that, like, oh, go into downward dog and just hold yourself for five breaths and then come up. And I was just like, that's not how yoga is. Like, I may not be able to hold it for five breaths and that's absolutely okay. Or I may want to hold it for 10 breaths and that's okay. And it may not exactly be that pose and that's okay too, right? So that this like prescriptive version of yoga, everybody doing the same thing, I didn't like it. So I found a teacher who was like at that time close to, I think she was 70, 80 years old at that time. And now she's in her eighties. That teacher, I took classes under her and she was the first person who was like the real yogi, if you are doing, and she would say the word yoga, but she would say that if you're doing it right, every student should look different in the class. Oh, wow. It's not the same person. Like, it's not like everybody looks the same. That's not the real thing, Right. So one day I went to her and I asked her some question and I said, so in yoga, this is what, and she stopped me right there. She's like, why are you calling it yoga? So I said, what do you mean? And she said, you know, the word, you know, the language, you know, the meaning, why are you not calling it yoga? Mm. And that's when it hit me that in order to fit in, I had been calling it yoga when I knew yoga is the real world word. And that is internalized colonization, right? So a lot of Indian people, if you meet them, they are not going to call you out on saying yoga. They, in fact, probably don't even know that the word is pronounced as yoga, right? They might have just heard it from like Western world because like I have said, maybe not on the podcast, but in other videos of mine, that when in India, if if you say yoga, you're like this, some old person who is just doing something that is not that cool after retirement. <laughs> but if you're doing yoga, you're this like cool hip person who is going to the gym, who is doing something that is valued by Western people. 
Right. Right. So with the internalized colonization of Indian people, we ourselves may not say the words right. We may not understand the meaning of the words, but that's why I'm here. Like I'm teaching you, I'm teaching other people. But what I'm saying is if you are using yoga or chakra or dharma or karma, these concepts to build a business and you are making a living out of it, at least ask yourself, if that's what I'm receiving from this culture, what can I give back to the culture? And one of the things you can give back is actually saying the pronouncing the pronouncing the words right, explaining the concept right in depth, so that even Indian people start valuing it. Right. And also in India, this is another thing. I want to give a disclaimer. I am not at all for fanatic Hindu religion, fundamentalist, where everything ancient is amazing and everything ancient that comes from Hindu religion is just like that that gives that is used as a tool of oppression especially of muslim people i do not like that i do not stand by it so that's not what i'm saying at all what i am saying is in the context of interaction between western spiritual people and indian people is one of the gifts that you can give back is actually help india heal indian people's internalized colonization Let them see the value in their own languages so that they don't become like, so another example, let me give you, I don't even know where we, how we got onto this. I don't know, but I like it. Just continue on it. (laughs) Keep going. Yeah. No, I was saying like, that is out of alignment. Like I understand now if somebody is doing like pop culture, spirituality, that is out of my alignment. I'm not going to learn from that teacher. I know that, but I had to do some, make some mistakes in order to understand that. And one of the, one of my teachers reflected that to me like why are you why are you underestimating your own pronunciation why are you changing for us right so by the way she was a white woman so white woman in her 80s who taught me that so grateful for it but um uh what was oh yeah yeah so i was going to give another example so in india when I go back, I'm from a state of Maharashtra. So I go to, I spend some time in Mumbai. Uh, and Mumbai is the capital of Maharashtra, state of Maharashtra. And Mumbai is like the most economically powerful city in India. So a lot of business happens there. So there are a lot of people from different parts of India and even different countries that live in Mumbai. And English is, sometimes English is common, at least in some areas, English is a common language. So, but the language uh, that is spoken by the people, even with a lot of people are regional languages. So in some areas you may speak Gujarati, but most often the original language that you would hear in in Mumbai is Marathi, which Mm. is the language of state of Maharashtra. You obviously hear all other languages because everybody exists, everybody lives there, like people from different parts. So I'm not about fanatic about speaking Marathi, but Marathi is my mother tongue. So most of the times I would love to speak it when I go back. So if somebody doesn't speak Marathi, I speak whichever language they speak, or uh, meaning Hindi, I speak Mm -hmm. Hindi or English. Because those are the other two languages I know. 
But the point here is sometimes in Marathi-speaking areas where you know the shopkeeper speaks Marathi, you go there, you start speaking in Marathi, they assume you don't have money. They assume you are not from, you are from some village where Marathi is still spoken, right? You, you cannot speak Hindi or you cannot speak English. Wow. And they don't show you good clothes. Oh, wow. They show you cheap clothes. And this has been my experience. And I am so hell-bent. Like, if I'm speaking one language, I usually speak only that language. I don't include the words from other languages. Now, all the hip people, which is all the youngsters, quite often, they, if you listen, half of their language, they're speaking Marathi. Half the words are English. Some words from Hindi. Mm. Like, that's how they speak. So they, half the time, don't even know the words in Marathi for, for the English word that they're using. Or they just don't make it and make an effort to speak in that way where there is pure Marathi spoken because whoever speaks English is considered better. Oh. Right? So that's the internalized colonization. So one time I went to the shopkeeper and I went, when I go back, I buy Indian clothes, I buy saris because that's where I get that fix. So I go there and I, I, and I usually, I, again, I don't dress up because I'm just like casual. I'm usually casual in the US too, but in India, I dress up in a way where people often make judgments of how much money I might have. And they usually think I have less than what I have. So um, so I go there, I walk in there and I'm speaking in Marathi and I was like, show me this, show me that. And the person just wasn't showing me. He wasn't paying attention to me. So I got angry and I spoke to Rishi. And at that time, English came out. Because I was speaking to Rishi and somehow, sometimes when I get angry, I speak in English. So I spoke to Rishi and I said, let's get out of here. They have nothing to show us or they don't want to show us. And as soon as they heard English, you would not believe that the person came, like two, three people came running and they're like, no, 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 no. We were just busy with other clients. Please let us show you some things. And we have much better products. And we just were like busy with other clients. And I was like, you know what? I know exactly what you're doing. I don't want to buy from you. And I got out of the store. Good for you. Yeah. Because if, if you are not respecting me because of the language that I speak, which is also your language. Right. Right. There is a problem. And not just the problem, what you are basically telling is somebody, let's say somebody doesn't speak English, they don't understand English. What you're telling them is they are not good enough. Mm -hmm. They're not good enough to be buying products from you. And let me tell you, there are some very rich people that live in villages that would buy a whole lot of good stuff if only you give them the respect and show them the right stuff. Right. So you are losing business this way too. But of course, they are not losing enough business where they care about it. I'm guessing, right? But that's how internalized colonization comes into play. And you, once you recognize these ideas of what exactly happening, you notice it and you notice it everywhere. Where if only, and not only that I speak English, but I speak English in some, where they know I live outside of India. Yeah. I speak English in a different accent than an Indian person in India would speak English. So then they think I'm even like, even better than somebody in India speaking English. So all of these ideas of deciding that one person is better than the other for like these superficial things, it boils my blood. Yeah. So, <laughs> so. No, that's, I mean, it, it's, it's wild to hear like going back, you, 
you would think that that would be like a place that they, you would appreciate it more, but how this is, you know, it's funny. Cause I think about here in America, I always be now I know the word colonization, right? Like this is something where it's funny because I always used to think like, Oh, we have so many great cultures in America, but we, as a culture of our own, we don't have, it feels like big business. It feels homogenized, but that's exactly the same thing there. And it's like, now I feel like you, I see that when, you know, I'm learning about colonization, like, oh, that word specifically, because that is exactly what that is, where it infects somebody with this idea of what's good, what's better. So yeah. you're willing to <laughs> bypass what's like true to you. And I, yeah. and it is sad because it's like, those are the things that are so much more interesting that we want to know. Like you're getting to that, you know, like when you were saying the yoga te- or the yoga teacher, I, I'm still learning too. Cause I'm like, it's so, it comes out so quickly, but, um, when she was telling you, like, why would you say that? Even when you, this is like true to you, it's like how easy it is to bypass, like you're ready to like, yeah. give it, oh, I'm here. So now I'm going to do this. And it's not even, I don't think a conscious thought necessarily. And then it just happens. And you're like, how did this, how did I, you know, I'm not saying right. that, I'm not trying to like put words in your mouth or your experience, but it's like how natural that could happen. It is. And that is the wound, right? Like that is the wound. And that's why colonization has given so many wounds is where people just don't feel that automatically they look down on themselves because like in India's case, British ruled India for the longest time. British, like the practices embedded in you that if you are British aligning, meaning if you speak English, if you take education from Britain, or if you help British people in some way, rather than being on the side of freedom struggle, then you will be rewarded. And not that you will be rewarded a whole lot. There was still racism that existed there, but at least you would survive. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't be killed because people in freedom struggle, they would be hunted and killed. Uh-huh. So, so so what do you do? You try to align with everything that is British. Right. And it that was a survival thing. Right. Yeah. And that includes colorism, meaning yes. uh, there are many uh, creams and oil, uh, not ointments, but lotions that are sold in India that, that are advertised as uh, like it will lighten your skin. Why? Because colorism, any adjacency to white skin is better. Right. There are like straight hair. A lot of people in India, people have wavy hair like me or they can have curly hair. They can have straight hair as well. But straight hair is valued more than curly hair or this type of hair, wavy hair like my hair. And I remember one time when I was a child, I had gone to this hairstylist right up your alley, (laughs) Rose. Uh, Those of you who don't know, Rose is a hairstylist as well. So yes, she is a professional talker and I'm storyteller. A professional talker. Storyteller. Right now she's using those skills, not just in this podcast, but also in her hairstyling business, right? And in her own podcast. So, um, so I went there and I remember one of my friends, she had like very straight hair, like white people's hair. And I had this hair and I have jeans that are Southern Indian jeans. So I have thick black, well, that are now graying, but thick black and wavy hair. And when we, she, we were both, we both were friends. We went for the haircut, sat in front of her and she put her fingers in the hair of my friend. And then she put her fingers in my hair and she was just like, Manasi, why isn't your hair as silky as 
her hair. And look at her hair, how shiny and how silky they are. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, I guess her hair is beautiful and not mine. Right. It's so, so you become these uh, ideas that are the, the reason why it becomes so natural to you because unknowingly you pick up these ideas. It's not like somebody teaches you that. Right. Sometimes somebody can actually teach you that. Like somebody can actually say straighten your hair. One of my friends, she's from Palestine. And I did not even know she had curly hair until like three, four years after meeting her. And one day she just came to me and I was like, are those your hair? They are so beautiful because I love her curly hair. She straightens it out every single time. She does not step out of the house until it's straightened out. Right. Right. And I'm not saying I can, I don't know why she's doing that, but I would assume that she thinks that is better looking than her curly hair or natural hair. Right. Right. So all of these things, this, this is what systemic issue is. This is what systemic marginalization is. Many times people think that when we talk about racism, it's about one person taking a discriminatory action towards another person. And that's not what racism is. That's the effect of racism. But racism as a system simply means that we are building our systems and structures that are based on a premise that one type of person is better than the other. And that intrinsic premise reflects itself in a variety of ways. And then it becomes a system that perpetuates that premise. And that is what racism is. Yeah. The same way that is what sexism is. That is what cultural appropriation is. That is what ageism is, right? So the premise, so you yourself be, might be in a system and you aren't taking any discriminatory action to some other person. You treat everybody equally, but the system itself has issues with it that marginalized people are struggling with, right? right. And those are the byproducts of creating those systems because this is the issue. Sometimes people just don't understand that racism is not just being discriminatory to say black person or brown person or indigenous person. That's not just what racism is. Racism is this whole system. And it's recognizing even if, yeah, even if you are not discriminating against anybody, you are still part of that system. So is the black person. So is the indigenous person. So is the Indian person. You are part of all, we are all part of the systems. And that's why it's important for us to recognize how that system is operating and then challenge the ideas. So me believing that my hair is beautiful just the way it is, is basically challenging the system, mm -hmm. right? Me believing that I can be a business owner when there is a statistic that it's very hard for women of color to be successful in variety of different fields, including business. I am challenging a system just by my way of being right. Yeah. And I'm sure you all are doing it too. Like all our listeners are doing it in some way. And sometimes it's, it takes sometimes speaking up for the issues and saying like, this is not right. I don't run my business this way. I don't run my life this way. And sometimes it's just you taking the actions that the system has told you you cannot take. You seeing your beauty, you're seeing your own um, value when system has told you you are not worthy of that beauty, you are not worthy of that value, right? All of it. So activism comes in many formats. And one of the ways we can actually contribute to systemic change is by making our way, the way we are living, um, 
challenge the systems. Whether we have the privilege in the system or whether we have marginalization in the system, we can challenge the system. Right. I think I love that you the whole well you speak so beautifully about all. It's like you really just um like I love how you were saying about racism too. It's not just an a thing that's being said, right? It is yeah. this whole system and just how it is shows up everywhere in these different yeah. forms. Right. Um, and I think that that it's like, you know, one of the things I remember hearing a long time ago is like, um, and I think about this often, especially in the beauty industry, because it's like, there is this um, idea of like, well, at least my belief is like, you can change and be whoever you want and you can ch- channel the right person and, and, you know, wear makeup, not wear makeup and feel beautiful because it can come from this place of empowerment. But sometimes when you feel like you have to do it, then you get trapped in that. And that is what happens a lot of times when you're growing up and you don't see who somebody that you look like reflected back to you. So then you're automatically in a category, well, I must not be beautiful. And it's incredibly sad because you could say to this person, your hair is so gorgeous. You should, it doesn't matter what I say, just as much. It doesn't matter if I'm saying something bad to you or good. Of course, the bad sticks more, but it's like that self-worth coming back is that's what's happening to people. Right. And that is racism too. That's that part of it. That's that oppression, that invisible thing that people can sometimes gloss over and not see because it's been told to you. Even if you had a supportive family or supportive friends, you have society that's telling you in all these small ways, Oh, this is not acceptable. This is what's right. 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 Exactly. I remember this, this was part of my education about how racism exists in the U.S. and how it operates. So when I first came here, uh, I was questioning, why do some of my Black friends, they spend so much money on getting their hair done? Because they would say like, oh, I'm I'm really working hard and on this job to make the tuition and... um, uh, I, I may have to take like a, a break from uh, this to this time and the, so that I can work more, save some money and then go to take classes. And I was like, in my unaware mind, coming from India where I have not seen basically any black person, now there would be like, I, I go back and see some black people who are there, but I wasn't exposed to any of that. And then I came here and I was like, well, why are you spending so much money on getting your hair done? That opened a whole lot of answers because she's like Manasi, and this is my one of my best friends, right? She's like Manasi, you don't understand. If I don't get my hair done, and if I keep my curly or all these hair there, people would think I'm not professional. People would think I'm not serious. My I wouldn't get good grades. And I was like, what does the your hair have to do with your grades and the way you show up at work? And she's like, no, Manasi, this is not considered professional. And this was like in 2004 when I had just come to the U.S. We have changed quite a bit until mm-hmm. now, but since we have still, we have not changed enough. Right. Right. So she's like, if she cannot keep her natural, at that time, she felt like she couldn't keep her natural hair or she would not be taken seriously. She couldn't do like very uh, African-American type of hairstyles that she would do for that hair. She didn't feel like she comfortable doing it because she, so what she would do, she would spend a whole lot of money and damage a whole lot of hair in heat to make them straight. Mm -hmm. And then she would keep the hair straight, right? And that's when she would be taken seriously, but that's not your natural hair. So it's not going to remain like that. And then she would have to go again soon enough 
to do that. Whereas a person like me, I, of course, probably I'm judged too as well at some point where like, oh, she's not cutting her hair soon enough or whatever, for whatever reason, but not nearly enough as she would be if she had her natural hair. Right. Right. And that's racism without anybody doing anything, without anybody even consciously at times saying that, oh, you don't look professional. Assuming that you are not professional because you haven't done your hair a certain way, that is racism. Right. Right. And I didn't know that I had to learn that. And that's what happens. Like we are going to have blind spots because that's not our lived experience. So what do we do? We educate ourselves. We Mm -hmm. keep an open mind and we keep an open eye to recognize and pause and say, okay, like, what do I not know? Because we don't know what we don't know. But educating ourselves is important. And right now at that time, at least like even Google wasn't as popular. We didn't have YouTube. We didn't have Facebook or LinkedIn. We didn't have any of that. So it was a different time. But right now we have no excuses for not knowing what is going on in the world because all the information is at our fingertips. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So it's important to educate ourselves and be mindful of where, how we are unknowingly even perpetuating, not the discrimination itself, but perpetuating the systemic issues. Like what system knows to be true, how are we perpetuating it? Do we automatically assume that if a person doesn't have straight hair, uh, they are unprofessional. Do we automatically assume that? Or I remember in marketing when I started joining, people like these would be men in interviewing you. They would not like women or even, um, okay, they wouldn't like women having a like pink or blue type right. of hair. I remember one time this uh, this person, he said to me, oh, she's a great marketer. Don't go with her hair. And I was like, what's with her hair? Like, I didn't even give it a second thought. I'm just like, oh, that's her expression. She's doing like whatever. At that time, she had like rainbow colored hair, right? Mm-hmm. So she's just doing whatever she is. Don't go with her mm-hmm. hair. I have heard the same things about she's a great X, Y, Z. Don't go with her tattoos or piercings. Right. So all these ways that we judge people based on ideas of what is professional is right. basically. And what a boring world that is. Boring world, right? How fairly exactly. boring that is. Like, first of all, you're re- like people are feeling oppressed by something. So they don't really get to truly shine as themselves. Right. How are we all supposed to like, that's not inspiring to have to be in one. That's terrible. I mean, I, right. you want variety. You want that. Like it's, it never made sense to me. That word professional to really, I'm not saying professional it itself is. is such a bad thing, right? But it, it, it's, I think also working in the beauty industry, a lot of that stuff, I'm like, at what kind of BS? Yes. <laughs> like, exactly, exactly. That's just some like, you just have a strong opinion. You don't want people to like be outside of this. That doesn't make any sense to me. How does that, that speak to who the person is or their character? What does that have to do with anything? Exactly. Exactly. And I remember I have another, I had another client in BVI who, when they brought up to me, she's like, Manasi, all these pictures, none of my pictures are professional. I was like, what is your idea of professional? And we unpacked this whole thing, whole wounding that had come to her because she thought she wasn't professional. Her expression wasn't professional. But what I teach is we should, the expression, your expression should be especially pure. And you wouldn't believe it. Like having a smile on her face, she didn't feel that was professional. 
right? She was like, oh, I'm not taking myself more seriously. And I was like, girl, no, like, no, we need to have your Vishuddha expression, especially if this is how you are trained in the corporate world, let's change it because we are building your own brand. She's a personal brand. Mostly people who come to me have their personal brands, right? So I'm like, not only do you have to smile, but you are such a fun person. You need to laugh. Mm -hmm. And then when you go into seriousness, because she talks about some serious, serious issues, when you go into that seriousness, do not be afraid to put on a serious face and don't feel pressured that you need to always show up as a fun person. Right. Right. Because both expressions are especially pure to you. When you are in your research or discussion type of ideas, you get so serious about it. No, let nobody tell you that you are this angry woman. Right. Right. Versus if you want to have fun, let nobody tell you that you are not taking yourself seriously or your business seriously, or you are not competent enough just because you are approachable or you are right. smiling. Right. So Ugh. all these ideas that we have picked up under the name of professionalism, those are all wounds. Right. And, and the, what that does is basically, I think it just, like you said, you said, there is no fun. It, it suppresses the unique expression. And it obviously creates wounds on the way we look naturally, mm-hmm. right? Our natural hair, natural hair color. Like I, I also remember so many people, whether in India or here in the US, they tell me to color my hair, my gray hair. Not just because they think I look old or something, older than I am, but because they think it's not professional sometimes. And in India, people think it's not beautiful. (laughs) So I'm just like, okay, clearly who I am is not professional enough. It's not beautiful enough. Let's just, I cannot satisfy everybody. Let's just be my own self. And right now, like you said, there was a time when I used to do it out of obligation. Like, oh, I have to do it. Otherwise I won't look good. And I tell you, Rose, there were times when I wanted to teach something. I wanted to show up on videos and I will not show up because I don't have my hair colored. Right. Right. So then I'm postponing my expression. I'm postponing getting clients. I'm postponing selling my products for what? Right. For somebody else's definition of what is beautiful and what is not. And then COVID hit and come to find out when you don't find hairstylists, so many people have gray hair. They just don't show it to you. Their hairstylists know. Yeah. Right. They just don't show it. So if everybody's trying to be somebody that they are not, What's the point? Let's just all be ourselves and in our gorgeous selves, just the way we are. So right now I don't color my hair until I want to. And I absolutely love red hair, by the way, like reds in here that comes from henna. I absolutely love that in my hair, but only when I want red color, otherwise it's going to remain black and white. And then sometimes it could be black and red. And then I'm happy. Exactly. Do what feels good to you. I've lost so many color clients because they decided to go gray. And I was like, yes, do it. Embrace it. But if you felt like doing something, great. But you never should have to feel like you have to do something. And it's it's a trap. You know, it is. Well, I think it's a trap because one, the whole ageism too, about what it means to be getting older and what, how we feel about ourselves. And this is also a delicate subject because like, I've had so many conversations and it's like, I feel like I try to toe this line to be like, people could do what they want in this life. If you want to, you know, that's your 
your journey to figure things out for yourself, yes. but it can yeah. be a slippery slope and it's always with the intention, right? Like sometimes we're going to do things because it's like, I'm going to dye my hair because I want to look young. Okay, fine. So you do that until you have your liberating moment where you're like, I'm not playing this game anymore. Right. I'm not right. doing this. And or for absolutely. Some, yeah. Right? For some people, like I have another friend for her doing makeup is a creative expression. Yes. Like the way she shifts yeah. herself Right. For you too. Right. That's a creative expression. So she does it more often than I do. But if it comes from the idea that I'm not beautiful unless I do makeup, then that's a wound. Yes. But if it comes as like, I'm beautiful, but I want to play with my face and see what happens here, then that's expression. Yes. Right. And there is a difference. There is a difference. And, but I, I, I think it's important too, to like, say that even if you're coming from that place and you feel like you can't don't, you don't have to force yourself out of it. Like it's just something to sit with. Like I remember, cause it's like, you shouldn't feel bad that you're not quite ready to like not be seen without makeup. Yeah. You know, you can take your time with it, you know, yeah. but it's like, you're on your journey to figure that out. And I think, you know, cause it's already coming from a place of shame. Like I think about my mom. I, I may have told you this story, I'm terrible with details. I was listening to this podcast and I can't remember the woman's name, but she was being interviewed. And it was really funny because this woman is, um, I think like in her family, she was the first to go to college. She became this researcher. And one of the things she was researching, she wrote, she ended up writing this book about how, you know, a lot of mothers, I'm guessing here in the United States, I don't know if this is like world. I don't know how much, but it was like mothers usually like to um, criticize their daughters based on their makeup, their hair and their clothing. And I was laughing so hard. And I was like, called my mom because I'm like, you know, sometimes we receive these messages of like, you should do this to your hair. You should do this because I think it's become a survival thing. Like this is how you show up. So you think you're being helpful. Yes. I think you're being helpful, and but the person receiving it is like, I'm not good enough, so I need to do this, right? Right. So it's this this thing that just gets passed down. It's like I was taught. My mom's gonna be mad. Why are you bringing this up on, on your podcast? But it's all all good, mom. Um, but I called and I told her the story about how I listened to this podcast, and this woman was talking, and she was so proud of herself because she did this research, she wrote this book, and she was starting to be on TV. So she did her first TV appearance and she calls her mom. She's like, did you see me? Like, oh my gosh. And and her mom's like, yeah, but did you have to wear that red sweater? And it was kind of hilarious because like that, like the whole point of her research was like saying this exact thing. And the mom still can't even get over it. So I call my mom and I'm laughing and I'm telling her because me, me and my mom, it's the same thing, right? It's like, oh, you know, like do this and whatever. And she's like, you know, when you're telling me this story, I'm laughing because I'm thinking, oh, grandma used to do this to me all the time. She's like, but I'm not thinking that I'm doing this to you at all. She's like, right, right. I'm doing it to you, I think I'm being helpful. And I just thought it was so funny because it's like, we're so quick to respond. Like I'll get defensive towards my mom, but my mom thinks she's being helpful. And this is just the cycle. Right. Right. And it's, it's, that cycle is also the systemic issue, right? This is why we say that we need generational healing. We need ancestral yes. healing for this exact purpose is because that gets carried on from generation to generation to generation because for them, it was a survival mechanism. Like right. if they didn't look good enough according to whatever that definition was at that time, they probably, and I'm not saying this about your mom, but maybe your grandmother, is they probably may not have found a husband 
who forgets valuing them, but at least willing to marry them. And then they may not have, they may have worried like, okay, if I, I'm, I'm, I don't have any skills that I can market and work on my own. Right. And I'm not saying this is your grandma's story, no, but what no, I'm saying yeah. is that could be going through a person's mind. Like one of my friends, she's from Mexico and she was telling me one day I was telling something to her and she said in Mexico, <clears throat> when uh, like they talk about girls, they kind of, and she, she wasn't as great at, um, picking the English words for him. But the way she explained the sentiment of it was uh, that it, you would describe girls as items for men. Mm-hmm. Items yeah. for men, right? So she was like, so I grew up and I would hear me, my mom, my sisters, my friends referred to as items for men. Ugh. And she then she was then telling me that, what do you think happens to us when we get married? We think we need to please a man in all different ways that you can. So yeah. your life is now basically the life that should be just for the lived for the man, right? And that's systemic sexism right there. And then she said, and you would hear messages, you would look somebody who looks like, so she said, there is a, something called Barbie complex. Like, I don't look like a Barbie, so I'm not beautiful. Right. So she's like, then you see all these people, they look a certain way and those are considered like better items for men. Mm-hmm. So then that makes you feel bad too. So you are already like all these wounds of system that your own family puts on you, not intentionally. They, they, right. they think they're helpful, like, oh, dress up so that you are a better item for men type of thing. Right. Um, right. But they think they're helpful or they think they're just helping you survive or navigate the society. And which is what they're doing. Like in their mind, that's what they're doing. But we need to question it. Like we on the receiving end needs to be like, okay, does this need to happen? And hopefully, hopefully, even when we have children, we don't perpetuate this on them. Right. Right. And that's how we will change, I think, as a society is once we start our own healing and recognize that, okay, well, this is clearly coming from wounds. We don't take the same actions. I just want to point something out because this is like actually makes me feel a little emotional too. just talking about this specific thing. Cause like, I also have had the privilege of like, you know, doing my grandma's hair and then um, doing a couple other women who are well into their eighties and it would come to me. And now where I work in my studio, it's one-on-one. So Mm -hmm. there's nobody else there. So people feel especially open to talk to me or say things. Mm-hmm. And so when I have older people in my chair, like, I love that. I mean, anybody who sits in my chair, I'm like, very curious. Ooh, tell me about this. Like, you know, like I want to right. know all things. And, um, there is this one woman who I would talk to. She would come into me regularly. I love talking to her. And she would talk about a lot when she first got married and she had a lot of children and it was like, you know, they were in love, but then things changed. You got divided. It wasn't that long ago. I'm, this is what I'm trying to point out too. Wasn't that long ago that lives were very different. Yeah. And there weren't all these choices. And one of the things I would hear from her over and over again, and she wasn't saying explicitly, but it was like this theme. People didn't talk to each other. Even when you had your good close girlfriend, you held a lot of stuff in. Yes, 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 so yes. These survival, these were truths for people. So what yeah. we're hearing are these remnants. And it's it's something to 
I, it's, it's, I've even had this like conversation with my mom instead of getting defensive, like that's her thing. I'm still going to love her. I'm not going to even try it. Like I do sometimes I'll be like, mom, you know, whatever, Can't right. myself. but it's like, I see this as remnants and I've seen how far I come. And now even just sitting here with you and us being able to talk openly about yeah. these types of ideas, about our feelings, about systemic change, about maybe feeling shame and guilt, or maybe showing up in a certain way, like how much that has even changed in just this short period of time. That's like something to celebrate. Like that makes me feel so happy. Right, right. It is sweet, I should say. We are definitely not where we want to be, obviously, right? But no. yes, it is something to be celebrated because I think we are coming forward and we are moving forward. We are making progress. What I also want to say, though, is if we are having these type of conversations, we have to understand how privileged we are in just having these conversations. Absolutely. You're right. right. Yes. Like, because yes. that means we have our basic needs filled. Like somebody yeah. in the war zone isn't worried about how beautiful they look. Yes. Like, yeah. They're worried to, yes. about their life. Yes. Somebody, somebody who is worried that if, uh, if I don't get, like, I don't have a place shelter for this evening, they aren't worried about these issues. Right. right? So, what that means is with that privilege that we have, some of our needs are met. And that's why now we are questioning about this. We are talking about this. We really need to understand if we don't question it, who will. Right. Right. Because yeah. there are many people who just aren't logically in that position. It's not right. that they are not capable of it, but they just aren't in that position because what the hand, the life has dealt them. Yeah. So then we are sitting in our, these privileged conversations, discussing all these ideas on how to make the world a better place through our own individual expression. We really need to question and challenge the systems and we need to set new ways so that slowly we build enough momentum of enough people doing it. And that becomes the norm and that becomes a new system. There is no point, honestly, at this point, I feel like challenge, uh, um, uh, rebuilding the old systems. The old systems are just so outdated. It's like our landscape right there, right? Yeah. Like it was out of control. We just needed to remove it. Mm -hmm. So the only way we can change, <coughs> I think, is if we build a new system. So if we are operating in a different new way of being, that will perpetuate and create new systems automatically. Because systems are what ultimately? Systems are created by people. So as more and more, and this is where Bridge Walker's work comes in, right? Like you have the analytical skills to understand what is wrong with the current way of being, current systems, current way of doing. And then how can we be different that is more aligned with love, kindness, equality for all souls and equity for marginalized people? Uh, how can yeah. we bring those principles and find solutions that have both, that are rooted in that love and kindness, but they are practical enough where they will pick up the momentum and they will move forward. Yes. Like, how do we come up? That's Bridgewalker's work. And we, not one Bridgewalker is going to do it alone. We are all going to do it together. So we need to recognize, if you are listening to these conversations, you need to recognize your privilege in just this, having the freedom and flexibility and energy 
to listen to conversations like this, to participate in ideas like this. And then that itself, use that privilege to then make this world a better place. Thank That's you. what I want to leave people with. That is perfect. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that in because that's the most important part. And that's exactly it. It's a privilege. I was very excited in that moment. And it absolutely is a privilege because it's still not something that people are able to do. Yeah. So I'm celebrating this moment for myself, for you, but this is something that is going to be right. Like, how do we do this as a collective then when we've gotten to this point and what, what am I doing to give back to be able to get people to a point where they can think about these things? Or have these conversations because everybody should, everybody has a piece to add. Everybody has a piece to add. The business that you're building can be aligned with your values. It can be the business that will bring forth messages of systemic change in some way. It doesn't have to be direct activism all the time, right? It's activism is just one step of something. Activism just recognizes the problem and voices that problem. Then we have to build all these solutions to that systemic issues. How is how are you in your life and you in your community, you in your business, how are you showing up with these ideas and how are you contributing to changing the system? And listen, people, if you are building a business with that type of vision of changing the world in some way, Come to me, come to me to align with who you are, your truth. And that's that's what I teach people how to do through Bijwalker Visionaries Incubator. So we'll include a link in the description, but it will it, be guys. a pleasure and honor to serve you and guide you and teach you in that way. Because your message and your work, your unique way of being is what we need as your unique contribution to this systemic change. So let me help you get that out there in 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 a way that is aligned with you. And you're probably already doing it, but let me help you whichever way, in whichever way you need support. Yes, do it. And also like in the in, in the spirit of the fact, like be part of a community that is supporting each other with these yes. ideals. And that's what Manasi, you're so brilliant at. You know, it's like you you're so grounded in what you're talking about, but you also know how to bring other people in the mix and you hold space for everybody. So do it. Do it, people. Do it. Sign up. And whether you do it or not, but know that if you're listening to these conversations, that itself is some type of privileged position to be in, to be even in that mindset to discuss these ideas. So use it to bring change. Ah, this was a perfect place to end. This was a great conversation, Masi. This was a great conversation. Thank you for giving us the jump start. I was going to say, it doesn't take much. It's like, I I love it because it's like I go down this avenue and then it's like, just flows so easily. So thank you you. for your brilliant mind. Um, But of course, to everyone listening, same as every week, if anything sparked anything in in this episode, please write us, send us a message. Cause we'd love to like talk more ideas. Like what did this bring up in you? Like, did it, did you think of a story that happened to you or did it pose a question or, you know, did it bring up a certain emotion? Like share it with us because um, we want to, con- this is, we would like to continue the conversation with you guys as well. So write to us. We, yes, have, that, to we us. have the comments below, but in either the podcast or YouTube, but we will also have um, probably a link where you can. Yeah. That. Yeah. We will, we will have a link where they can submit their feedback. They can submit their comments, their questions. Um, and what we are going to start doing 
is also if you have a question and we think that question should be discussed in the podcast, we will just do it. So yeah. we will bring your questions and maybe that will give you a different perspective. It will give you some inspiration. Uh, it will give you some healing, some teaching. So if you have any questions, submit them on that form. That also includes feedback. Write to us, write to us your stories. We will read those. Like anything that feels like that will add to the conversation, uh, we will definitely read it. And right now we are reading each one of those, we will read it individually, right? Like, it's not like we have an assistant or somebody who is going to read it and we wouldn't read the whole thing. So please send it to us. It comes directly to us. Okay. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.